Hello everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix, and today we're kind of doing something a little bit different. I haven't actually finished the book that I'm about to start talking to you about. I will have finished it by the time I complete this review, but I'm honestly having kind of a difficult time with it, and I thought laying out some of the thoughts that I'm having about it would stop them rattling around in my head, and I'd be able to focus on the rest of the book without being hung up on the negatives that I've already kind of found in it. The book that I'm talking about is Keeping Her Keys, An Introduction to Hecate's Modern Witchcraft by Cindy Brannan. I was really looking forward to this book. I, I put it to one side. I was like, I'm going to enjoy you later. And then I think my first mistake was taking it into the bath because I decided I was going to settle down. I was going to have a nice read in the bath, learn more about Hecate. And, uh, you know, it was going to be a good time. And then I was kind of disappointed. I've reached page 17 and I kind of feel like this is going to be a do not finish. So I want to lay down some of my thoughts, my feelings, and just kind of make sense of them before I dive into the rest of it. So unfortunately, I, I chose to begin this book in the bath, having a nice relaxing time, and it was only when I was in the bath, and therefore incapable of escaping to find a different book, that I realised that this isn't really a book. The author describes it as a course, and at one point says, I'm going to start referring it to a book now because it's a course. And that kind of felt like I had put on an audiobook, and at some point it had gone, as you can see from figure two, and you're like, but that goes against your very purpose. So it was kind of a shock to open a book and then be told that I had embarked upon a course. Um, which is obviously my fault for not reading more than like three pages into the introduction before hopping into the top. So there we go. But I do not like the kind of way in which it's sort of set out as a course. And it particularly worried me on page one that it says, At the end of the course, you can become a keeper of her keys through self-initiation. You can become a priest or priestess of your own temple if that works for you. That's 100% completely fine. But what follows is, once you complete self-initiation, you'll be referred to as a guide in the Keeping Her Keys community, and you'll be able to mentor students taking this course. Lesson two describes the Keeping Her Keys framework in detail. So I mean, it's kind of one thing to say, like, this is a course and this is how I'm going to sell my book. That's fine. Maybe you're coming from like a more academic background and that is how you chose to set your book out. But this seems to be suggesting that it's actually like, a course with a qualification and a hierarchy and that was when I sort of started to realize that the author of the book isn't so much talking about Hecate as Hecate relates to witchcraft and whatever kind of witchcraft you choose to practice and that's again probably my fault for misreading the title an introduction to Hecate's modern witchcraft because Hecate's modern witchcraft or modern Hecatean witchcraft is seemingly a tradition that the author wants to start um, this book is sort of the culmination of them blogging about this and gaining a following and now they've kind of moved into like this is the course this is the start of my own tradition uh, which again was not aware of going into the book because I tend not to like do much research on books to be honest I tend to just jump straight into them um, but there we go that was unfortunate and it did kind of throw me for a loop uh, and then unfortunately the hits just kept coming on page four we're given a course timeline and told which moon phase to start in it and which like cycles we're going to be going through with this uh, and it feels like again like kind of at the start of like an academic year when you'll be sat down and given your reading list and your syllabus and they'll be like this is what we're doing on week two and it's like I just want to read a book I was not aware this was going to be a course uh, but moving past that we get to the first exercise in the book and that is setting up your witch journal and it tells you like when to do that and it's to create a personal record of your experiences during this course and then on page six it kind of goes through that 
but it makes no reference to the fact that you might already have a book on the go. The author does say that she has several journals and uses them for different things and says that you want a journal set aside for this, but she doesn't reference like a book of shadows or a grimoire or any kind of work that you might already be doing. And there isn't really much room in there for you to decide, mm, actually, I don't really think I will do that. It feels like you are being kind of pushed into the classroom and told, here is exercise one, sit down and get on with it. And you're like, actually, I kind of just want to read more than six pages before I decide that I'm going to set up a workbook and join in on what it is you're peddling here. And unfortunately, that kind of kept coming on page 12 there's a paragraph called understanding holy darkness and it says i've just written about what i call the holy darkness referring to hecate's rise in popularity amongst witches pagans and others in general this can be interpreted as part of the return of the divine feminine to mainstream culture how has the holy darkness manifested in your life what does the holy darkness mean to you what signs of it do you see in your own life how about in society why is the term holy darkness a good way to categorise this shift in your own life, other practitioners, and even in society. Now, it feels very much like I am being conditioned here. And I'm not saying that this author is like trying to set up something nefarious. I just think the way that they've structured these questions makes it seem like, here is the thing that I believe. Now write about how you agree with me. Because it's like, why is the term holy darkness a good way to categorise this? It doesn't say, is the term holy darkness. It says, why is it? So, your, your agreement is already assumed at this point on page 12. You've only just been told about holy darkness, but now tell me why it's a good idea. Tell me why it is the perfect way to describe this, um, which is kind of unfortunate. And then this is why I kind of put the book to one side and just decided to enjoy my soak and file my very crusty feet. Um, because we get to exercise two, the commitment ritual. This is page 12. We haven't, like, if I was just to sort of structure this in my mind of what I thought this book was going to be, I thought we'd get into it. And I thought, step one of this process, we're talking about Hecate, we're talking about Hecate and witchcraft. Tell me who Hecate is. Tell me some of her history. Tell me some of her epithets. Tell me about how her story begins, her myth. We don't have that. So what instead we get is this... Um, guide to intention setting and then the commitment ritual to commit yourself to the course some of the things that we're told to write down before attempting this ritual is what do i hope to learn from this course how will i be transformed by this course how will i use what i learn from this course again it's like you know when you want to buy something and someone wants to sign you up for a membership and you're like i don't want that I don't want your membership card. I don't want to pay membership fees. I don't want to receive your newsletter. I just want to buy this hand cream. And they're like, I'm sorry, but you have to do all that before you can get that. The hand cream in this scenario is information about Hecate, which is why I'm reading this book. And everything else is like, oh, okay, well, you wanted to know about that. Well, here's my course. Follow my course. Do these exercises. It's like, but these aren't really to do with Hecate. They're to do with your course because you haven't told us anything about Hecate yet. I only have like the, the basic understanding that I have from reading another book about Hecate and a vague background in some Greek mythology. So it seems weird to me, especially at the point on page 15 when we get into this and it says, now turn to the symbol of Hecate while holding the paper near the flame saying, I release this intention into your hands, mighty Hecate. May you guide my thoughts, feelings and actions so that I man manifest my desired outcome. 
Pause for a few moments so you can contemplate your intention being released in Tecate's hands. She may speak to you regarding your intention for this book. If she does come forward, make sure you write about the experience in your journal. So we don't know anything. Like, if this is the first book you've picked up on Hecate, which, judging from the way that this is introduced, it probably would be, because obviously there's no reference to you having, like, a book of shadows or grimoire or experience of prior witchcraft. So now you're sitting down doing your first ritual, calling on a deity you don't know anything about, who will come to you and speak to you specifically about the contents of this book and this course, as if it is something that is recognised by Hecate, as if she's just sort of chilling somewhere and thinks, oh, someone else from, from that course, from that one book. I'm going to make a beeline down there and talk to them about it because it's really important. Um, at this point, the book was kind of making me very salty, and that wasn't just because of, you know, the bath salts. I'm sorry for the bath pun. Um, it was kind of making me very much have flashbacks to reading To Ride a Silver Broomstick, which I did not enjoy in some of the sections where it was like this, where it was like, here is a tarot spread that I have invented and named after myself, because it feels very much like someone trying to carve out their own little piece of the paganism pie, and have their own tradition and there's nothing wrong with that like there's there's people who who have that kind of thing going on and obviously if you have a blog that's the way you're going to relate to people because they're going to come to you and be like your fans because that's who reads people's blogs it's people who want to know about their stuff and are fans of them just like with like youtubers people who who come and watch youtubers are going to be coming to them for something but books are slightly different to that because books can be picked up by anyone people who've like never heard of you before and who need a little bit more warming up before 12 pages in. And now we're going to dedicate ourselves to finishing the course. Because it feels pushy to me. It feels like the more the book goes on, it's less about Hecate and it's more about pushing modern Hecate and witchcraft. Which, again, that is on me for not like fully realising what the title meant and, and looking into the book before reading it. I was just like, oh, okay, cool, a book about Hecate. And we are told in the introduction that we are going to learn about Hecate's myths. So that I'm looking forward to. But at the moment, it feels very much like this book is like Hecate to witchcraft as self-improvement has become to witchcraft. So it's sort of like, here is a book where we're going to talk about being kind to other people and self-determination, self-improvement and working through our problems and psychology. And we're going to talk about that through witchcraft, but the book itself isn't really about witchcraft. It's mainly about self-help. And that's kind of what this feels like to me at the moment. And like I said, I got to page 17. I'm glad I remembered to say page 17 because my bookmark fell out while I was flipping through it. But And I felt, this is probably going to go on the do not finish pile. But the thing is, this is not like a, a £2 paperback that I bought from a charity shop that I can just like chuck into a box and give away for free. I paid money for this book. And I kind of want to get something out of it. I want to find out what is behind all of this course stuff. And I'm hoping that, that is just the introduction. It has like quite good reviews on Goodreads, but most of those people were like, oh, thank God I found this course. So I'm, I, I feel like we're coming from different places. So I'm going to continue reading it. The rest of this episode is going to be my review once I've finished reading it. But I kind of wanted to set down these thoughts at the beginning because I'm feeling very frustrated and I keep kind of coming back to this and wanting to talk about it and I thought if I get all this out there I can put all that negativity aside and just focus on the rest of the book and try and find something in there that I like so 
that's what I'm going to go away and try and do now. And I will come back, hopefully having a few more nice things to say and sort of overall thoughts on how I feel about the course that I'm not going to do, but I'm going to, I guess, audit for a semester and kind of see how it plays out. Well, I'm back and I have to say recording 12 minutes of me getting my frustration out at the start of this book really did help me to approach it with a little bit more positivity. Um, I'm not like being sarcastic, it actually did help because even though there were still things that annoyed me about the book, I stopped in my head holding on to the things that annoyed me and like building up a list to hold against the book while I was reading it and I just sort of ended up, I didn't like deep read it, I have to say I, I mostly skimmed like I, I looked over the different pages and it's written in that way of um, kind of similar to Witch by Lisa Lister where it just has like a paragraph with a heading and then that paragraph is detached from everything else. So you kind of look at the heading, you read the first couple of lines of the paragraph and go, oh, this is interesting or mm, no, this isn't interesting. Next paragraph. So it does kind of facilitate skim reading in that sense. And I have to say that there were some pages in this that I did bookmark because of positive things and because I intend to maybe copy them into my Book of Shadows or at least refer back to them at some point. So let's go into my experiences post-Bath and post-page 17. On page 20, the author says uh, that the book is written as a framework rather than a tradition. And she says this is because the latter implies a rigid structure, while to me the former implies a flexible design. Keeping her keys is just that, flexible. Use the content of this book as you feel led. Change things up as you will. My mission is to make modern Hecatean witchcraft accessible to everyone who believes and is willing to do the work. This course, course, is designed to be appropriate for anyone regardless of the experience of witchcraft or paganism. I've made every effort to make this approach user-friendly for people of all orientations and paths. Now, I think that's quite commendable, the idea that they're not excluding or saying like witchcraft is only for women or it's only for cis people. That's definitely a lot more inclusive than some other books that I have read. However, at several points in the book, the author does go out of their way to say this is not a tradition. And it's like, if it, if it quacks like a duck and initiates like a duck, it's the tradition, my friend. And either be upfront about that or continue to, to sort of skirt around the term tradition because whichever way you slice it if you're laying down something with a name and a set initiation ritual and a set hierarchy of people who have completed the course that sounds a lot like a tradition page 22 and 23 we're, we're spoken to a little bit about witchcraft and how um it should move with the times so to speak and how some ingredients that we don't really use because of our modern sensibilities such as you know animal parts or urine I mean, a lot of people still use urine, right? That's, that's a normal thing to use. Stop judging me. Uh, but that these can be replaced with things with the same energetic properties and intentions as the historical ones. So not being a slave to tradition. And I, I think that's a, a worthy goal. And certainly when they talk about Hecate and her historic um, epithets and her historic attributes and the ways people worshipped her, the, the kind of feeling in the book is that we should not be beholden to these or just copy what people in ancient times did because our lives and our world is very different. And while I applaud that, and I think that, that is a, a definitely a good thing to be upfront about in the book, 
there were definitely times where I felt like the word Hecate could have been found and replaced with any other deity, and the book would have been exactly the same. There were chapters which actually talk about Hecate, and those were some of my favourite ones, but the rest of it was very much like personal development and stuff, where the name of the goddess wasn't incredibly important to the, the, what the author was talking about. The book encourages you to set up what it calls your witch's hour of power, which is basically just uh, a daily practice uh, for an hour of like various prayers and affirmations and stuff like that to help you to become more you, not to become more like someone else. Again, a very worthy goal. And when it lays out things like the principles of Hecate, uh, sort of the values under which your practice should be done as kindness, integrity and passion, it does then go on to add, say, adding your own principles and to make it your own. So I will say that although there are some things in the book which the author is weirdly insistent on, there are a lot of occasions where it's like, go ahead and personalise this for yourself, um, which is more than you get in some other books. Page 29, there's a section called Being an Ethical Witch, and it says... Um, on page 29, don't do spells involving another person unless they ask you, except where there is a real danger to yourself or others. Ethical practice extends to how we represent ourselves in the world. Specifically, when we are talking to others about our practice of modern Hecatean witchcraft, we shouldn't try to convert them to our way of thinking, nor should we belittle their beliefs. In addition, we shouldn't run around telling people how to do witchcraft or practice devotion to Hecate. Kind of a good surface idea, although later on in the book, they do talk briefly about Hecate's myths, uh, especially in one occasion where Circe calls upon Hecate uh, using like words learned from her in order to curse someone essentially and turn them into a sea monster, which is uh, something that was also covered in the Circe novel by Madeline Miller, which I also reviewed. So it seems like these ideas are at odds, and this was one occasion where I felt like the word Hecate here could be substituted for anyone, because... Although we're being told we shouldn't be beholden to the past associations and attempts to worship Hecate, it's it's a pretty big thing to cast aside her personality and the reasons that she is a goddess, if, if you see what I mean, and, and the myths that she has been involved in. We're also told throughout the book to call on Hecate by these three epithets, which are the most important, according to the author, that, that she is a guardian, a world soul, and a guide. But those are only three facets of Hecate. She's also seen as like the goddess of witches and also of like destruction or death and the underworld. So although these epithets are mentioned in the book, they're not ignored entirely. It feels like the author has chosen three that are of great import to them and that they can structure their tradition around. Mm. And that these are mentioned in a lot of different prayers and things as opposed to the others. And that is one of the things that it feels like they're being quite insistent about and saying these are the three that are the most important and these are the three that you should base your practice around. When, to be honest, this definition of ethics might not appear, uh, appeal to everyone, might not apply to everyone. I, for example, will do spells on other people without telling them because telling them is just like a, a headache in and of itself, especially if they don't know that you're a witch and they might think that you're crazy even if your intentions are completely benign, like a protection spell, um, that they may not want that, even though they may need it. So I don't think it's a thing that you necessarily have to tell people about. Also, not everyone just works positive magic all the time. There are people who hex, there are people who curse, and that's fine. And I think that your definition of ethics doesn't need to be this rigid. 
uh, and uh, again it doesn't need to be sour as like this is the ethical way and not you need to think about your own code of ethics and develop it for yourself the next section is basically talking about how there are three realms and three selves which again is not a belief that the author is prepared for you to not have it, it's very much stated as fact uh, and, and talks about like how Hecate relates to each of these three selves. Broadly speaking, I skipped over that because it felt very much like the id, the ego and the superego to me, just like repackaged with some more new agey names. Uh, but then we get into lesson three, working with Hecate on page 44. It basically just talks about like establishing communication with Hecate and uh, forming that relationship which is, I, I guess, a worthy goal, although quite a lot of this section is taken up with telling us about the lessons we're going to have. Uh, it says, you'll learn her many names, lesson four, her symbols, lesson eight, and her correspondences, lesson nine. And it was kind of doing that thing where it's like, stop telling me what I am going to learn and get to that point. Like, it felt very much like a textbook kind of telling you, like, these are the goals for our next six lessons copy them down into your work journal and it was like i'm not really interested in starting a work journal i'd much rather just read the information that i bought this book to get we then get told about various ways in which hecate communicates uh, via dreams and signs and meditations direct messages but we haven't really been told any of her symbolism yet so how we're meant to recognize her signs is odd uh, on page 51 she says use your intuition to determine if a thought or image that occurs to you is a sign from hecate do the same with your external surroundings if you practice this for a couple of weeks you'll really strengthen your awareness of hecate but again like what is her symbolism what are her signs we haven't been told it feels like some parts of this book are very much putting the cart before the horse in the sense of like we're already devoting ourselves to the course and to hecate before we know who she is and we're looking for signs before we know what they might be uh, so it feels like it needs like not necessarily a change in content but definitely a change in structure on page 55 we're told be informed ask questions read books and learn the ancient texts if you are new to hecate cast your net broadly and read a variety of books i've noticed that many people still view her primarily as an underworld goddess or queen of the witches these roles are a very small part of hecate as you'll read in lesson four i hope these tips help you win I hope these tips help you when, with your efforts to communicate with Hecate, be patient with yourself and her if you experience difficulties. One of those sentences, it has a misprint in it. I hope these tips help you when, with your efforts to communicate with Hecate. That doesn't make sense. But overall, the whole paragraph, it refers us to the ancient text, but doesn't tell us what they are. That That's later on in the book um, that we get told about that. But also this, this idea that people who see her as an underworld goddess or queen of witches are looking at a very small part of Hecate, which I kind of disagree with. It feels like we're being told with one hand to view her through the prism of our own interests and concerns, which is what we've been told to do and sort of personalise our approach. But on the other hand, choosing to focus on other epithets or other facets of her is wrong which I think it's quite reasonable for a witch to focus on Hecate as Queen of the Witches. Is it not? But uh, apparently not. So lesson four then. Hecate and her many names. This is where I actually started to enjoy the book. On page 59. Uh, I'm glad I got this far because some of this information was actually interesting and relevant to what I thought the book was going to be. And it's the stuff that I'm probably going to talk about uh, like 
putting into my uh, Book of Shadows later. Page 59, she says, understanding your Hecate. Before we start discussing the various existing interpretations of Hecate, it's important for you to record your own personal vision of Hecate. When you proceed... When you processed your first encounter with her, you wrote about your initial Im impressions of her. That's if you're doing the course exercises, by the way. These may have changed since then. Writing about your understanding of Hecate at this point will provide you with a reference point for how your understanding may have already changed. You can also refer to it as you go through this course. So it feels like we were told to have our own personal experiences with this deity that we don't know anything about yet because the book hasn't told us anything. And then apparently reading this far in the book will have already changed that. It feels like the book wants to shape my understanding of Hecate. Going back to that previous quote, what if my understanding of her is queen of the witches or a goddess of the underworld? Because I've already been told that that's wrong. So there we go. I'm getting annoyed again. I'll try not to. Uh, so then we get like a look at historical Hecate and like actual looks at the myths i hope that some of the myths would be included but they're not really um though we are referred to some of the like ancient texts that were referred to earlier like the orphic hymn of hecate uh so it's at least giving you points to go and weigh and research but you would think that some of these things would be important to include although the orphic hymn is included uh, but several other things like myths and legends haven't been like retold within this book. We're told about uh, the torch-bearing goddess of the underworld on page 60. During this time her image as a goddess of the underworld was also born. In the Homeric hymn to Demeter, Hecate answers Persephone's cries when no one else does. She becomes Persephone's guide between the underworld and the human one, using her torches to light the way, for to light the way along the journey. Hecate as a torch-bearer or lamp-carrier became one of the dominant themes of her depictions during ancient times. This is extrapolated into the sort of modern interpretation within this, this book and this author's tradition of Hecate as a guide rather than as a goddess of the underworld. But again, like we're being told that she's associated with the underworld and then we're being told that that's not important because we really see her more as a guide. We are told that there are problems with the historic understanding. Obviously, the historic profile of Hecate is going to be incomplete because these sources are from a really long time ago, which I do agree with. Uh, but then it says on page 62, because the texts were written by men of a certain class, there is no way to know for certain how ancient witches understood and experienced Hecate, even with the stories about Hecate and specific witches such as Circe, Medea and Samatha. I think I'm saying that right. We are limited in our knowledge by the fact that they are that these are far from factual portrayals of how the ancients may have used Hecate in witchcraft. I feel like we don't really know a lot about witches back then at all. Witchcraft not being really a common practice or not really something that is directly linked to the witchcraft we practice now. Like that, Those would be definitely be different things. I think the idea that because we don't know how witchcraft was practiced back then or if it was, we, we shouldn't really use these historical sources it's, it's kind of a weird leap uh, to take. And just because that information is incomplete doesn't mean that we shouldn't like work around the incomplete chunks and try and reconstruct or reimagine what we can. I think that's a better idea than just throwing everything out and saying, well, because we'll never know, we might as well just not look at it, if you see what I mean. 
But then told about Hecate during a more modern period, like the Middle Ages, her portrayal or reference to her made in like Macbeth and things like that, about how she is then limited to an underworld deity or queen of hell and a uh, deity of witchcraft. And it says uh, at the bottom of that paragraph on page 62, while artists and authors presented a narrow version of Hecate and witches, it is unlikely that this reflected how witches understood and experienced Hecate during these times. How do we know that witches in the Middle Ages were even aware of who Hecate was? Like in the Middle Ages, would they have had a classical education where they would know about Greek deities? Or would they worship more folk deities, like just like the Lady of the Woods or just various different facets of nature, like the Horned God? Would they have been aware of who Hecate was? There is no source given as to if people were worshipping Hecate back then, just that if they were, which the author seems to think they were, it was different to what Shakespeare was writing about. I guess because Shakespeare was talking about Hecate as outside of the three facets the author has chosen to cherish and focus on for their tradition. I am getting slightly annoyed and I'm aware that I might be being slightly unfair, but it does to a certain extent feel like they have taken quite a broad range of sources and then discarded everything that didn't fit in with their tradition and their view and so it feels like although they are calling some portrayals of Hecate restricted they are themselves restricted in a different way so it, it, it's very much a sort of pot calling the kettle black sort of area where it's like everything that isn't the restricted idea of Hecate that I have is a restricted idea and uh, it made this section kind of hard to read and it did feel like a lot of the information was not being presented in an unbiased way. We then get into the 20th century and how Hecate uh, was limited again as an underworld goddess and that was reinforced through the works of Alistair Crowley and Gerald Gardner uh, about how she was used as a goddess of witchcraft in neo-pagan circles. Again, everyone who's reading this book is going to be a neo-pagan. There are no pagan pagans we're all neo-pagans but this feels like she's simultaneously saying that we'll never know what happened back in the mists of time and so we can't reconstruct that accurately but also saying that everything that other modern pagans are doing is limited and wrong unless they're doing it my way by following this course that's the last time i'm going to mention the course I swear to God. I do agree, however, when she talks about how Hecate has been kind of forced into the maiden mother crone model. That is true. It is a sort of a, a poor mark of neo-paganism. We talk about the triple goddess uh, coming from like Wicca and all that, that all goddesses seem to have to fit into this mould and Hecate will often be put in the crone role uh, just to sort of make these pantheons that aren't fashioned around the maiden mother crone model fit into them. So that I agree with. The end of this chapter about Hecate is sort of defining her as the world soul, which is mentioned in the Chaldean oracles. I have no idea if I'm pronounced. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, I googled it. And the Chaldean oracles are basically uh, philosophical texts um, used by philosophers, uh, and that they do mention Hecate as being this sort of um, goddess power. Uh, who is described as the world soul, uh, the sort of protector and creator of everything and various other things. Uh, apparently this is a basis for like Gnostic teachings, which I guess if you're interested in that, if that is 
a kind of an aspect that you work into your practice that's fair enough but if you don't believe in like a monotheistic kind of view of like the creator of like all things and where all energy comes from it isn't really going to vibe with you but you don't really have a choice to accept or reject this uh, as on page 65 it becomes kind of clear that this is kind of a cornerstone of this practice that we're being told about it says the image of hecate as the world soul is as the great mother and savior in the chaldean oracles hecate is declared as the world soul the vital force that fuels all of creation the hecate presented in the fragments of this mystery poem dating from the second century ce is all powerful there are several different epithets used to describe hecate as the world soul including soteria the savior this isn't passive salvation being discussed, but refers to the ability of an individual soul to ascend to higher consciousness through specific acts, including living a magical life. The idea that you're working towards a higher consciousness, while present in quite a lot of different religions, isn't really something that it applies to all witches, because witchcraft isn't really a religion. But it's not necessarily something we strive for, witchcraft itself being the practice of control and mastery of the self and outside forces through will it isn't really about reaching like a higher state of consciousness or like nirvana or what a lot of other practices kind of refer to as like a higher self um, but again this kind of gets worked in as just an idea that you accept and then the course keeps talking to you about it for example like the next kind of section of exercises is the world soul journey uh, to sort of get close to that uh, and to, to meditate on it i will say that on page 83 i was contradicted in my earlier view when it said to start out you know your notebook about hecate because we do get an exercise called starting your book of shadows where the writer does acknowledge that perhaps you already have a book of shadows uh, and that you can continue with it so there we go we get a little bit talking about how to start that and then we get an exercise on page 85 which is learning the orphic hymn to hecate which is, uh, says the first entry in the book of shadows should be one of dedication to hecate i'm recommending the orphic hymn to hecate i often recite it during devotional work i've copied it into my book of shadows made social media posts using it and perhaps most importantly i've turned it into i've turned to it repeatedly as a source of inspiration so we don't really get like a, a real source on this or information around what this hymn actually is but we do get some text from it at, at the bottom of that page which i've marked to copy into my book of shadows because i find it to be an act uh, an inspiring uh, poem just as as the author claims it is but mostly because it doesn't refer like most of the other chants that the author has written to their own idea of the facets of hecate it doesn't just refer to you know the guide the world soul and all of that business it says lover of the wilderness night going one protectress of dogs unconquerable queen beast roarer disheveled one of compelling countenance ruler nymph mountain wandering nurturer of the young it includes a lot of these other aspects which are kind of left by the wayside in favor of the three-pronged approach of you know guide and world soul and the other one which i constantly forget what it is gatekeeper there we go. Guide, gatekeeper and guardian. Those are the three. See, I, I've forgotten them already. The section on Hecate, goddess of witchcraft on page 86 is only half a page long, uh, but it does reference uh, another book written by somebody else, which I have now got on my reading list, which is called Circle for Hecate and it's by Sarita Derste. 
probably not pronouncing that right, but it's called Circle for Hecate. Uh, and it seems to be like a recent book about her as the goddess of witchcraft. So I feel like that is the book that I wanted to read. And it has gone on my to buy to read list. Uh, but it talks about briefly this idea of Hecate as a goddess of witchcraft before, you know, going off with various other things that the book wants to talk about. We get a little bit of information in Lesson 6 about honouring Hecate, about leaving offerings and different things that can be used as offerings, which is kind of useful. Uh, again, you could probably get that same information elsewhere and probably not on like page 90 of a book ostensibly about Hecate, but uh, there we go. Uh, it talks about how to use these offerings as a way to get rid of stuff that we can give her these like uh, habits that we don't want anymore and we can sacrifice habits that maybe make us feel good that we know aren't good for us to me this kind of rankled i feel like an offering should be a, a gift and not something you should try and, and use for a magical goal but, but there we go uh, the author does say on page 92 it's different than giving her something that we want to get rid of and says it's about giving up something that we need to be free from which feels like a split hair to me. It, it's something that we need to be free from is also something we want to get rid of. The examples given being toxic relationships and addictions. Again, this is maybe something that you find comforting that feels good to you, that is technically a sacrifice. In the same way that at Lent you give things up, it can kind of, I guess, be interpreted that way, but it, it feels very similar. Uh, and then we have like, Guides to petitioning and evoking Hecate, um, various different evocations. But again, the evocations are broken down into, of her, like three forms and the three realms, which if you didn't believe in them when you read about them earlier in the book, these evocations are basically useless because you're invoking things that you don't necessarily believe in. So it doesn't really give you a lot of space uh, to, to work on those. Also, there's a lot of like hand gestures involved in it, and it's quite hard to describe a hand gesture accurately in text. So that was quite confusing. There is, however, an invocation to the Queen of the Witches, which I have earmarked to copy over again into my own Book of Shadows. But again, these kind of things are kind of few and far between. Then we get into Hecate's Wheel of the Year, uh, Lesson 7. I always find the Wheel of the Year sections to be boring in books but i had high hopes for this one because obviously hecate has her own like festivals and we do get told about the the different festivals of hecate uh and also bizarrely about the sabbats which i feel like the wheel of the year as we understand it's like modern pagans is based on like celtic stuff and not on the ancient greek stuff that, that hecate is coming from so that felt a little bit weird there we go we get told to make hecate's wheel of the year uh, to acknowledge the, the moons and things like that in her favour and perform rituals at that point. Lesson 8, we get into Hecate's symbolism, which is quite a long way away from when we were told to look for her signs. So we learn about like keys, Hecate's wheel, the strophalos, um, which I, again, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. My pronunciation is just utterly awful about her fire and torches and then fire scrying and then we get told about correspondences in lesson nine which i found a little bit weird 
because it, it doesn't really talk about her correspondences it really talks about like preparing lists of correspondences and how to use those uh, in terms of like how to like dedicate these objects to Hecate and use them in ritual so we get a little bit about Hecate's companions uh, but I say a little bit it's basically eight lines um, we get some sources but not hugely there's just like little lists it just says there are several animals associated with Hecate in the ancient sources, including bees, bulls, cows, dogs, dragons, goats, horses, lions, owls, pigs, polecats, and snakes. And that, that, that's basically it. Uh, <laughs> and not like a huge amount of anything else, except it goes on to talk about hounds, horses, and serpents as being the key symbols. We also get told, and this kind of made me laugh, on page 142 about the colours associated with Hecate. Uh, the central ones associated with her in modern Hecatean witchcraft are black, red, and white. But it also says, Our Lady is also associated with gold and yellow. She's often described as golden or wearing golden sandals. There is an ancient connection of her with saffron, giving us this association with yellow. We can use gold as the colour to symbolise Hecate as the world soul, blue in the form of sapphires and her watery aspects, green as the colour of her garden, another uh, hue representing Hecate. You can also have a personal colour you associate with her. For me, it's the regal colour of purple. So we've had black, red, white, yellow, green, blue, purple, gold. I think silver is the only colour not referenced in that. So we're like, Hecate's colours, all of the colours. Uh, which I found quite funny because it was like, here are the specific colours, all of them. <laughs> but there we go. And then we get on page 150 a sort of correspondence quest where you can go out and like ask Hecate to bring stuff to your... Uh, to your attention. Uh, section 10 is Hecate's Garden. I understand that this author also has another book out called Hecate's Garden. There isn't a huge amount of plant lore in this, uh, just various plants that are sacred to Hecate and the three main ones detailed as sage, bay, laurel and Hecate. These go with the three roles as guardian, guide and gatekeeper. So again, if you don't want to subscribe to that model of Hecate then you are shit out of luck my friend uh, then there is uh, the three keys incense which is a special blend but this requires you putting the herbs uh, the three herbs that I've just mentioned in jars colour coordinated and labelled with the three aspects of Hecate focused on in this book with the crystals that also go with those associations and then taking them out of those jars again and making the incense so again, it feels like before we get to do something, like make the incense, we first have to work in this model that most of us may not have accepted unless, you know, you already follow her blog. Lesson 11 is on divination, but is basically entirely about tarot and only about two pages long. This seemed weird to me. I don't think of tarot as being particularly, you know, ancient Greek or associated with... Hecate. Maybe you could say like divination is associated with her. Here are some tools that you would use in divination. But to me, I think very much of like, you know, the reading of entrails, the reading of smoke, um, those sorts of things and, and prophetic dreams as being more ancient Greek forms of prophecy than tarot card reading. And then we get to talk about sacred space. This is basically where I was becoming unstuck from the book. I, I was just sort of skipping over it at this point. But we learn about like liminal times and lucid dreaming. And, and then we go into the initiation. Uh, and there's a little test at the end. 
so that you can test your knowledge from the course. And the last paragraph before we get to like the glossary is uh, on page 239. Now that you have completed the training of the middle world, you have developed a special understanding of Hecatea's guide. In the next course, the journey takes you to the underworld, underworld where you'll learn about healing, hexing, communication with the dead and other activities of... I can't say this word. Thonic witchcraft? Can't say it. The final course will find you travelling the starry road to the upper world with an emphasis on astrological magic, working with angels and ceremonial techniques. So this is the first book of three. Like, a three-part course, if you will. Again, it didn't tell me that at the beginning of the book. It said, this is a course. It didn't say at the end, read two more of my books. I've talked about this book quite a lot. But... I was kind of annoyed going in that it wasn't the book that I expected it to be, that I had picked it up as. Um, about what I thought it would be is talking about her modern implications to witchcraft. And what it actually is, is a course about a set tradition with its own views on how to use her in witchcraft, but not necessarily treating her as a goddess of witchcraft. I think there is some information in here which is useful to like general worship of Hecate and information about Hecate but honestly I think predominantly it is what it says on the tin it is a course in modern Hecate and witchcraft and it's not going to teach you as much about Hecate as it will about modern Hecate and witchcraft as a separate thing so my advice would be to if you're looking for a tradition based around Hecate read this book if you're looking for information about Hecate to work into your existing practice uh, because you feel called to learn about her and worship her in your own way, don't read this book. Uh, and maybe go and read a different book, which is more about her history and more about her as a deity and less about her as the focus of a tradition. So in essence, I would say that although this book is a pretty good version of what it is, i.e. a course in modern Hecate and witchcraft. It's kind of hard to quantify that because it is the only book about that, because the author of this book has invented that. So you have to kind of keep that in mind when you're reading it. And also I did notice that there were quite a few kind of typos, run-on sentences. It's not an easy book to read, uh, so technically as a book it kind of is a little bit difficult to be going on with. But if you are already a fan of Cindy Brannan, the author, you've probably already bought this book because that's who this book is for. And I wouldn't say that it really had wider appeal than that unless you were interested in this particular tradition. I hope you've enjoyed this review. If you have any other books that you'd like to recommend to me about Hecate, please do so. Drop them into the comments on the YouTube version of this review. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!